Hello and welcome back to Cooking the Books with me, Jilly Smith, and a brand new season sponsored by British chocolate company Montezuma. This week, the king of vegetables, Yotam Ottolenghi, and his test kitchen princess, Easter Belfrage, teach us some of the secrets of the alchemy behind the recipes in their latest book, Flavour. It's all sponsored this month by Montezuma's, Britain's greatest little chocolate company, who believes that their beautifully produced and packaged chocolate is positively good for the planet. The ethically sourced ingredients in their bars, buttons, bites and truffles are all free from gluten, GM, colourings and preservatives and every product is also delivered in packaging that's either recyclable, biodegradable or compostable, making this a chocolate company with conscience. It was back in 2002 that its founders, Simon and Helen Pattinson, quit their job as lawyers, sold their house and went travelling across South America where they stumbled across a cocoa plantation and discovered the wonders of chocolate for the very first time. Tasting chocolate infused with chilli changed their lives and when they came home to Brighton they created a handmade chocolate company focused on sourcing the best quality cocoa for the best chocolate experience possible. Listen to the top of each episode this month to find out more about this lovely story of following your heart and doing what's right deliciously. And did you know that after a day in the test kitchen, Yotamatalenghi, one of Britain's most celebrated chefs and food writers, loves nothing more than a bar of dark chocolate and a glass of red wine. As I met him with Easter Belfrage, his co-writer of Flavour in the Zoom room, I asked him what this, the third in the Plenty series, was aiming to do. There's been a, a kind of seismic change in the way we treat vegetables and how excited we are about vegetables in the last decade or two. And my books were part of this change. And I haven't had a a vegetable book uh, out for a long time, since Plenty More came out. And and there's been a whole lot of new ideas and new recipes that have come out of the test kitchen, of which um, Easter is a member. And we just thought it's about time to tell the world about these recipes. I mean, they have been published, um, most of them in The Guardian already, uh, but every time we take a book, we have a fresh look at the recipes, we reassess them, we reshoot them, and, and it really is the kind of the latest in the world or, of vegetables, in the Ottolenghi world of vegetables. And there's lots of new ideas, and there's not lots of new concepts, there's new, there's new ingredients, and, and mostly Easter's touch, which is uh, a very particular touch, and we can talk a bit, a bit more about it, but... Yeah, it's just it's just what we do with vegetables now. Yeah, and it's really important. There's so many people coming out with vegetable books, uh, plant based diets. Uh, you know, you, it's very clear that you are flexitarian in this book. It's a plant based book, but you do use anchovies and all sorts of stuff in the test kitchen. Is to let's come to you because the test kitchen is where you live, <laughs> isn't it? And I, I mean, your term, you 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 bring all sorts of people into that, and it's Easter's turn to play. Easter, how does that? feel for a start uh well it's uh, very surreal i have to say i'm sort of pinching myself all the time i can't really say that i could have ever dreamt of being in this position and it's it all sort of came about at some points by being being in the right place at the right time but i i i've obviously worked very hard to to be here but a lot of people often ask me for advice on how to get where I where I've got, and I, I often can't really answer that question because um, some, I, I do feel that it was a series of fortunate events that got me here. Um, 
Well, actually, I mean, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because what I get from the Ottolenghi family is its love of eclectic. And you are nothing if not eclectic. I mean, you have lived all over the world. You have picked up ideas. You've been to South America. You've been to, you know, you were a door-to-door salesperson in Australia. It's not like you trained as a (laughs) chef. That was quite short-lived, thank God. (laughs) But it is this kind of this, a lot of the the stuff that I've read in this book is about observation. And that is what you get if you are a world traveller. Tell us a little bit about how you think that your eclecticism, your world travelling has brought you to this place. Uh, Well, I mean, I think, so I grew up in, my family moved to Italy when I was about two and a half. And I think that that was really the catalyst in me getting into food. So my dad works in wine and Italian wine specifically. And because of that, we were exposed to some really great food from a, from from a very young age um so and i think that's how i got into food that's how i fell in love with food eating food that was um prepared at wine producers house that we used to visit um or restaurants around where i grew up in tuscany um and uh yeah i think that really played a huge part in me becoming obsessed with delicious food and knowing what good food is from a young age and um my mum's brazilian um but grew up in cuba via mexico so i've got a lot of that Latin and South American food um, at home and the knowledge of that food. But actually, my mum, uh, absolutely love her, but she's not the best cook. And she's also a nutritionist. So at home, we used to eat very healthily. And because I had been exposed to such delicious food from a young age, it, I, I used to get very upset and angry that I couldn't I couldn't have that food at home. And I think that's why I started cooking. Um, but yeah, I, I have... I have Italy to thank for I have Brazil and Cuba and Mexico to thank for that sort of fusion cooking that I that that defines me I think um yeah and your time for for you you have a lot of partners in the test kitchen you have obviously Sammy Tamimi you have Tara Wigley you have Noor you have a lot of people who come from different parts of the world with different offers for your test kitchen how important is that for the way that you kind of evolve uh it's it's instrumental that's that's just the way um this thing has grown i mean it's got me at the forefront with my name but in actual fact the um the the, those people that i have been collaborating with uh bring their own um personal experiences some of them are food related, other are not food related. They bring the whole personalities into the picture. Mm-hmm. And um, I've often said that I wouldn't have been able to publish all these cookbooks if it was just down to me uh, to come up with the recipe, test them and evaluate them and, and put them down to paper. Because it is really every book, and this has been my life's mission uh, since, started, st- since I started publishing cookbooks, uh, that they're all very different from each other, they don't, that it doesn't stand still. Mm-hmm. And I think that really the only way around it uh, is to bring all these uh, uh, talents. You know, there's, you know, uh, Helen Go is an amazing talent and, and Ramal Scully is an amazing talent and Sami Tamimi is an amazing talent and, and Anista is an amazing talent. And, and, and these are, it's not, I'm not doing it, uh, you know, f- for them. I'm actually just doing it for the books and for, the, for the, what comes out of the test kitchen uh, uh, in general because... It just makes it so much more interesting, so much more diverse. 
Uh, you know, you take a cauliflower and you, you, do, you give it the Sami Tamimi treatment and then you give it to the Easter Belfridge treat, treatment and you get a very different treatment, you know. So I think, I think that it just works really well and I see myself as a kind of a, a conductor of all this, um, things that, that are happening. And it's, it's proved itself time and time again, a very uh, good formula. And I have to say, actually, it's great for us as well because I feel... I've been in the test kitchen now for four years and working alongside all these people that Yotam has mentioned, Noor, Sammy, Helen, uh, Scully, um, and that has completely developed me as a cook and opened my eyes to so many different ingredients that I and techniques and cuisines that I, I didn't know about. Also, there is the interaction with the restaurants. So the chefs from the restaurants come into the test kitchen to try their dishes or from the delis and and there is this whole that's another layer of collaboration uh that happens in the test kitchen yeah and and the result is that the all the books um are absolutely packed with ideas i mean that is the point and with this one you bring old ideas but you you give them a new iteration so the big ideas of this book are process pairing and produce tell us a little bit about why you chose to focus on on that so I always say that whenever I start working on a book with anyone, and that included East, I always, uh, you know, from my, my grand old age and experience with cookbooks, I always say, let's start the book not with an idea, let's start the book with a group or list of recipes that we really, really love. Uh, of course, we knew it's going to be a vegetable-focused cookbook because, as I said, you know, it was time for one of those and we haven't published, I haven't published one for a while. But... After that very, very general assumption has been established and we knew that was what was happening, it was really about putting together a, a list of recipes that we are absolutely in love with, you know, that are just so good that you just don't want to miss, you know, for this particular book. And it helped that we had a, a repertoire, like a list of recipes that we have been uh, cooking and testing for Rovi, for, for The Guardian, for The New York Times, for all the publications that we, we, we do. And and once you have that kind of core list of recipes, maybe it's the core 50 or 60 recipes in the book, I think only that I, we, we start to conceptualize. We start to say, oh, so what is this all about? Because at the end of the day, this is a cookbook. This is a book we want people to take home, no matter what is written in the introductions, the big introductions, the small introductions, all the f- fluff around. It's about recipes that are re- we really want to sell to you. You know, we, we think this is the absolute best gratin that you're going to, that you can make and you're going to want to make it again because we loved it so much when we had it. So the way it started off was from a list of, of, um, of recipes that we loved. And then we started to play around and break it down to see what, what is actually happening here. What are those recipes? What, it is, what is this about? And we realized that we kind of managed to take flavor into kind of new heights, you know, not that there was the other books were lacking in flavor, but this, this one even had more of that. And, um, and we broke it down into chapters where we tried to see, to understand what goes on in a particular dish, whether uh, it's acidity that plays the, 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 the predominant role, whether it's heat, whether it's a particular ingredient that we've thrown in there that did the work. We really... Like almost try to dissect the recipe to understand what's going on there. Yeah. And this is how this whole structure came out with a 3P, the process, the pairing and the, and the, um, pro, and the produce. Um, and, that, and from that, we've, we understood that actually there's like really three principles 
that we can rely on when we analyze what goes on in a, in a very, very good uh, veg- vegetable dish. Yeah, and I think that it really works. Um, so, for example, you talk about the complexity of, of pairing and you talk about something like raw asparagus. The complexity of putting lime juice, vinegar and tamarind gives, and you say it gives layers and iterations of sour come together in a single harmony. Now, I wouldn't have thought of doing that. So, you know, there's a completely new idea. It's had raw asparagus a million times, but never thought of doing that. It just... It takes it onto a different level. The celeriac, for example, you talk about uh, roasting a celeriac. And I did it for three hours yesterday. <laughs> Utterly mind-blowing. I don't, I've never roasted a celeriac for three hours before. <laughs> and again, with just a little twist of, of <laughs> lemon juice. It was absolutely sensational. So, so it feels to me, this is why I love the test kitchen. I want to just sit for a whole day and watch you guys <laughs> play. I mean, what fun it must be for a start. I mean, is it fun or is it, is it just a kind of a constant challenge to think of these new ideas all the time? I mean, for my, it's incredibly fun. And like, like I said before, I'm sort of always pinching myself that that's actually my job. Um, but yeah, it's an incredible place to work. And uh, I, I, I don't find, I personally, I don't think anyone in the test kitchen finds it difficult to come up with ideas because there's so much to play off. We've got all of our, we've got all of a, each other to play off. So Nors um, from the Gulf um, and my background and we're always, and um, our colleagues from the, from the restaurants, um, our colleague Calvin spent a lot of time in Thailand, and he's got a great repertoire of, of ideas from there. And so there's always people to play ideas off. Um, and whether we're coming up with recipes to uh, for a column about a seasonal vegetable, or we've decided to open the fridge and see what's left at the end of the week and come up with a recipe from that, um, I don't think we ever really find it too hard to come up with ideas. But yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful place to work. And yeah, we're always Good. chatting, talking about food and coming up with new ideas and sharing sharing our pasts and our on our history in food. It's 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 wonderful. Well let's see, let's go into your four food moments. You've chosen four different recipes. The cabbage tacos, for example. Um you say that this was the first ever vegetarian dish selected for the meat festival, Meatopia. Now tell us about that, why it's so important to be able to give something that tastes meaty to a flexitarian. Yeah, I mean, the story with, of this dish is really, so Meatopia is an American f- festival that has my, come to London a few years ago, and they have approached me on a number of occasions to have, there's, you know, chefs from all over the country uh, put their stalls there and barbecue meat. And it's just the, one of the most evocative experiences if you're not a vegetarian or a vegan, heaven forbid, because it is like, you know, all that smoke is really, you know, it's, it's absolutely fantastic. But, um, when they put, when, when they approached me the first time, I said, uh, to the organizer, would you, would, could we do something vegetarian? He said, uh, and they, well, it sounds a bit like an oxymoron because, you know, like, how could that actually work in a, in a meat in a, in a festival that has the word meat in its title, um, so the first time I said, "Okay, well that's fine. We won't do a meat. Uh, as, uh, our offering will not be meat." But Scully, who is uh, who used to work in Nopi and now has his own restaurant called Scully in in, in St James's in London, has had uh, and I did a demonstration in which we did a barbecued celeriac. Uh, with um, with a uh, barbecue, you know, a roasted celeriac with barbecue so- sauce and goat's cheese, and 
And the, the demo was super popular. And so the following year, they said, okay, you could have that a, a version of that dish on the menu. And so we had a meaty day. The festival goes on for two days. One day was a meaty day, traditional. We cooked, um, did we cook goat or pork? Uh, that year was pork neck. Pork neck. And the other day we did the, uh, the, 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 the little um, celeriac, piece of celeriac with goat cheese and um and uh the, the 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 barbecue sauce and it was again it was extremely popular and i think the point to, to make really is in this kind of environment and we talk a lot about flexitarianism at the, at the the opening of the book is that my position has always been about this discussion about meat eating vegetarianism and and it's a it's a fraught subject but i've always been very very um kind of pragmatic about it. I always thought that, you know, if we are going to be getting people to eat more vegetables, uh, you want to tempt them where it really matters. You know, you, you're not you're not going to turn a, 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 an avid meat eater into a vegan in one day you know, just because it's the right thing to do. Yeah. It just doesn't happen. However, if you present something that really does a lot of those things, uh, then the, you might they might say, oh, can, I can, can have that one day in the week and skip my meat meal. And that 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 flick, that pragmatism, has, I think, has proved really effective. And even in this book, we use parmesan, we use fish sauce, we mention meat in introductions because we just don't want to alienate someone. We want to have like this broad church of vegetable lovers, and they can include meat eaters. It's just not contradictory. Yeah. Absolutely. Charring the cabbage leaves, I think, is is the interesting thing about that dish. And you do write about charring, and it's a really important part of one of the processes you describe. Can you tell us about that, Easter? Uh, well, specifically for Metopia, that was actually quite a nice little story because we uh, we actually got um, a farm called Good Earth Growers in Cornwall to grow um, a, a beautiful cabbage called Calabos cabbage for us, and they literally picked them the day before and then they got sent down to London and then we spent the next day washing all these beautiful leaves and then the next day in Metopia uh, we we had this I can't remember the name of that uh of that it's like a, fi- a round fire pit that we were barbecuing the leaves on I can't remember the name of of the setup but it was really quite something to behold those beautiful purple purple cabbage leaves that we were charring and getting smoky flavors into and bubbling up with those burnt bits that just went so well with uh, with the slow cooked celeriac um but yeah just charring in general is something that we do a lot in the test kitchen and a lot in the book and it it really teases out a uh, inner flavor it teases out sweetness bitterness uh, so many different layers of flavor that that add to whatever vegetable or ingredient you're using so that is something that that we do and not just in the charring section for example when we talk about infusing quite often we char the ingredients that go in an infused oil um and the dish may be its usp might be that infused oil but that infused oil might just be brought to new heights because of what we've charred in there and that the sweetness and the bitterness that comes from that so you get that layering of flavor that we talk to talk a lot a lot about in the book where you take something and you create one layer of, of flavor by infusions, infusing it, let's say, with garlic and ginger and chili. And then, but we also charred those chilies before we started the infusion. So you get a bit of smoke, that brown color, that smokiness is just a wonderful thing. It's a sign of, of flavor. So the oil uh, that, that we get at the end has got, has got all these elements, the heat, the charring, the smokiness, the, the fresh ginger flavor, all those elements come together 
in one one condiment and that's the beauty yeah. of, of charring yeah and there's so much going on in there and then in your second food moment you've got the za'atar cacciopepe which is completely different it's as, about as simple as it gets and all you're doing is bringing a little middle eastern ottolenghi flavor <laughs> to something that is traditionally italian tell us about that one I guess that's uh, that's where um, I think there was a moment of panic when we th- I thought that we we left the, the Middle Eastern uh, pantry behind too much in fa- <laughs> in uh, in favor of uh, the Mexican Brazilian Chinese one and I think uh, Easter and I were, were you know when you do a book I think I mentioned to you yes there's all those recipes that you love and you want to put out there but at the end you start adding things that you think are missing maybe the balance is not quite right and i did feel that we were missing a few recipes with za'atar and with tahini and with things that are kind of very core of tolengi that have yeah. uh, that have always been there and always will be and easter came up with this brilliant idea of adding the za'atar to cacio pepe and although it seems on the surface, like you don't play with such a classic. Uh, in actual fact, it worked so perfectly well. Um, as soon as she managed to get the emulsification going, which took a couple of, t- of times, it, it was absolutely perfection. And, and I think that was, it's just one of these moments where you go like, really, you can marry the two cultures uh, without any problem. And it's kind of seamless and it makes total sense. And I mean, Italian cooking is, for me, is not a mile away, or at least some parts of the Italian cooking, a mile away from the Middle Eastern cooking, there's much more, you know, uh, further away cuisines that I can imagine, but it it, it does make total sense. All the people you seem to attract into your test kitchen, Yotem, seem to come from very, very mixed heritages. I'm I'm thinking of Scully as well. You know, I mean, he's come from about five different countries. Um, And and his food reflects that, as does yours, Easter. And so something like that is like, okay, let's just put it all in a great big melting pot and let's play with it and come up with something new. Yeah, and it's very, it's very, uh, it's it's like you said, said before. It's great fun to be able to play with so many uh, sources of uh, ingredients and, infl- and 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 inspiration. But it's also a very um, kind of fine line that you walk. And you know, we often talk, talk about, oh, you know, in the test game, have we taken it too far? Because it could become, um, uh, in a way, it could be become a bit clanky. It could it could become a bit it, that doesn't make sense, and it's very important for us to not just do these com, um, combinations for them for their own sake, yeah. but rather for the greater good of and the better of dishes that that these could actually create. One another brilliant I, I, uh, idea I think that Tista um, um, brought to the table is the uh, is the caponata with the tofu. Mm. Uh, which has got, you know, they've got some Asian ingredients mixed with Southern Italian ingredients and just makes total sense. I mean, what's the difference between ricotta and tofu? If you think about it, that that kind of wonderful blandness that you can dump things on, it kind of receives so well. And so that just makes total sense. And you use the shashing wine in in the caponata. And it's also in your, your... third food moment the sweet and sour sprouts with chestnuts and grapes again mixing up these flavors easter tell us about that one uh yeah that's that's one of our favorite dishes in the book it's it's really a beautifully festive dish um and really elevates the sort of what what people perceive to be the boring sprout so we we char sprouts separately and then um 
we take a big tray and we slow cook uh, little shallots and grapes and chestnuts in a mixture of Shaoxing wine, soy sauce, olive oil, uh, bay leaves and some other aromatics, some lemon peel in there as well. And um, so we slow cook those and then we just let them sit. And uh, we actually would love people to let them sit overnight if they have the time to just soak up all those flavors because they really do go fantastically well. The chestnuts and the soy sauce and the Shaoxing and the grapes, they just really marry together. And then you add those roasted uh, Brussels sprouts um, and that just adds a wonderful layer of char because we, we we ask you to get them really nice and blackened on the top so that adds that sort of sweet bitterness from the char of the brussels sprouts and then just to finish it off and to to make it really fresh um uh, we finish it with pickled green chilies and some fresh parsley and yeah so there's a lot going on in that dish there's the slow cooking the the marination of those vegetables in that in the asian ingredients and then the charring of the spouts and the freshness of the chili and the parsley. It will really transform your Christmas, I, I can tell I you bet. that. I can't, I can't wait for Christmas. I mean, it's only summer, but I can't wait for Christmas. Let's go to your fourth food food moment, the turnip cake. Now, again, cr- creating a classic Chinese dish. D- tell us about that, Yotam. This began as a, as a conversation in which um, Easter and I talk about going to Chinese restaurants quite often, especially the Dim sum is my favorite. I go every weekend with the family, or at least I used to. And um, and the turnip cake always features either the this thinly sliced one or there's a Singaporean style one, which is kind of added to a stir fry. And I kind of like the, love them equally in, in different ways. And um, but obviously in the Chinese con- the restaurant context, they come uh, they come with lots of uh, non-vegetarian ingredients, uh, you know, pork and ch- dried shrimps and things. And we thought, I, I set Easter the challenge to um, ve- vegetarianize it, but also it came into somehow into the context of the co- conversation about uh, nut roasts and how you take, you know, the nuts and create something that which pretends to be a meaty, a meat roast. And we've never kind of found one that we really loved. And, and so we married those two ideas together and uh, and created uh, this idea, which is really, again, it's quite Christmassy, although I, I'd have it any time, uh, which uh, takes the, the turnip cake, a, a Chinese staple, and marries it with a nut roast, a British staple, and creates something vegetarian for, for nut lovers, but which is really, really good because it's got that kind of, you know, the slight... Um, bitterness mm-hmm. from uh, that a turnip cake has mm-hmm. uh, because of the daikon it's made with daikon and then the sweetness from all the condiments and the soy and the and the nuts so it's a kind of and also it's a bit crispy from the the nut topping because it's got uh uh, chestnuts that have been brown and sesame seeds it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's just a delicious thing yeah wonderful it's absolutely packed with flavour I mean you know it's called flavour there are 20 flavours that you pull out I have to say thank you for the black garlic hadn't used that very much before last night I had it in the, with my char grilled red peppers and aubergine in the barbecue coals and it was absolutely sensational it just transformed it um, so thank you for that for all the ideas um when we're out of lockdown, I'm going to come and do a special from your test kitchen and watch what you do. Watch the science come to life. Thank you so much. It's a wonderful book. Um, best of luck with it. Thank you, Jilly. Thank you for having us. It was a real pleasure. Thanks for listening to Cooking Books with Jilly Smith, sponsored this month by Montezuma's. 
subscribe, rate, review, do all that stuff. Join my mailing list at jillysmith.com to find out what else I'm doing and check in next week when we've got the four food moments of Rukmini Ayer, top five food writer in the country right now for her Roasting Tin series. I'll see you then. <laughs>